Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that pairs compelling themes with some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra through the theme of learning or education. We sure are, and I am excited to be back at our regular format and to have such a cool theme. Yeah. So to get into our discussion, we are going to share a quote, and this quote comes from the third season in an episode called The Headband. Aang is masquerading as a Fire Nation student named Kuzan, and his parents, who are Katara and Sokka, are called in because Aang got in trouble. And so the headmaster of the school is talking to them about the situation. Mr. and Mrs. Fire, your son has been enrolled here for two days and he's already causing problems. He's argued with his history teacher, disrupted music class, and roughed up my star pupil. My goodness, that doesn't sound like our Kuzan. That's what any mother would say, ma'am. Nonetheless, you're forewarned. If he acts up one more time, I'll have him sent to reform school. By which I mean the coal mines. Are we clear? Harsh super harsh and uh i think that 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 is one of the reasons why i love this quote because i think it shows how the punitive side of education can exist where punishment for things like disrupting class or questioning what teachers are telling you or going against someone who is actually really well liked by the administration might get you in trouble and trouble can often lead to other kinds of incarceration yeah If you don't conform, then you risk being sent to basically a slave-like situation. Exactly. I mean, a kid going to the coal mines? Um, okay, Fire Nation trying to, like, (laughs) bring the civilization of the Fire Nation to the rest of the world. But I also think that that's great because it, it does also show the kind of utilitarian principles of the Fire Nation society, where it's like... What matters is production. What matters is moving forward in the ways that we choose to move forward, which is military strength and and industrial production. And so if you aren't going to make it in school, we'll put you to work in some other form. Yes, definitely. But also it it would be interesting to wonder because he said that he was from the colonies, right? And so Mm -hmm. I wonder how that was a factor. Obviously, the kid that he got into a disagreement with, he really didn't even do anything. He just like avoided that kid's attacks and mm-hmm. then got in trouble for it but like that kid was not gonna go to the colonies because yeah yes <laughs> absolutely but yeah i love how this quote shows obviously a problem with fire nation education but our own education too where you're not supposed to say actually that's not correct in in a class. You're not supposed to question the curriculum, mm. even if it's wrong. Like, I've, I've heard of stories where that's happened here in the U.S., where kids have been sent to the principal's office or whatnot for contradicting a teacher, but they were right. <laughs> yeah, I, I once got into an argument with a teacher because... Basically, she she was saying that grammar was always one way, and I said that it wasn't always that way, and I was right and she was wrong, and she continued to give me a hard time about it. And I was like, no, here in literally the textbook you assigned, it tells me that I'm right. So <laughs> It's yes. almost D- like to... authority figures don't like to be shown that they're wrong. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Admittedly, I was also probably a, a little jerk, but still. I, yeah, I could imagine you being obnoxious about it back in your <laughs> youth. <laughs> From what not, you've told I, me. <laughs> I'm still in my youth. I am uh-huh. the youthfulest youth. Sh- sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sometimes you're... No, actually, I was going to say sometimes your humor. No, mostly your humor is just old, like dad jokes, so... That's true, but I do also think saying duty is funny. That's true. You do love <laughs> things that have to do with Pokemon, too, so... Also true, Powerpuff yeah. Girls, you're about all that stuff. I am. I'm perennially stuck between 13 and 80. Yeah, which makes it a real adventure to be in a relationship with you. <laughs> <sighs> well, why don't we go into our discussion? Did you bring a character... Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Katara. And I chose her because I just love her thirst for knowledge that really fuels her educational journey. Mm. At at the very, very beginning of when the show starts, we see that she did as much as she possibly could to teach herself waterbending. And Mm. she was, like, practicing over and over again, like, even though her brother, like, wasn't supportive of it, even though there was so much going on and the southern water tribe was really struggling and she had to help take care of everybody who was left of of their small village and so she still was trying to teach it to herself and then when she had her first contact with any formal information about waterbending through the scroll that the pirates had she stole it so that she could finally learn some stances and some formal basic moves and then Mm -hmm. finally when master paku or as ang rightly calls him master poophead (laughs) barred katara from learning waterbending that he considered was only for men she just wouldn't take it and she was not going to be pushed aside or only taught to heal because that was the quote woman's role Mm -hmm. and so she like literally fought for her right to learn practical and like world saving skills that because she had those they were able to get as far as they did and were able to take down the fire nation so yeah i just i love that journey for her and how she is the advocate for her own education Mm. when the support isn't there like she will do it on her own or she will try to figure out how to get it and I also like love that her journey kind of touches on so many real life issues in terms of education as well so like there's the issue of access to education and like she never could have become the powerful bender that she did if she had stayed in the southern water tribe because there was just no access obviously for reasons of imperialism and and mm-hmm. all sorts of oppressive genocide and, and all that yeah yeah and then there's also the issue of kind of reclaiming artifacts that were stolen from her cultures like she stole that water branding scroll and which mm-hmm. not that i'm like yay steal but also i'm like eh, because she's like nope that belongs to my people and i'm gonna take it <laughs> because i should be able to learn from this which 
when we think of museums and stuff all around the world, so often they have artifacts from places that they stole those objects from them or, you know, very nefarious ways that they came to have these artifacts and it, it doesn't belong to them. And also, I think there's the intersectional issue of education and unequal access that a lot of girls, especially girls of color in certain communities have, which obviously is a major issue around the world. And then Mm -hmm. lastly, I think that it touches on the issue of how sometimes education can be so valued in places that it isn't available I've seen that actually firsthand in some of the developing countries I've been to among kids who see it as a privilege because school isn't compulsory or Mm. because girls can't go to school or or whatever the situation is. And I even had a a friend in college who was Kenyan and, and growing up there, he ran five miles to school, five miles home for lunch five miles back to school and then five miles home again so that's like 20 miles a day he would run and that was like all barefoot just to get an education which is like growing up here in the united states having access to some education like i would not want to run 20 miles (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like that drive and motivation for it i think is is really beautiful and so important that I think oftentimes with the privileges that we have and grow up with, we don't always see it that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I love that element of, of how education, particularly through that Water Tribe scroll, we see how it is not only about teaching information, but it also is a way of imparting culture mm-hmm. and how that makes it so important that you receive education in a cultural setting that is helpful to it. And Absolutely. to continue your your examples of how we see this in our society, where for the majority of our history, even those children of color who did have access to education didn't have access to educators that looked like them or had mm. their experiences. And that's true to this yeah. day. We still have a wide majority of white educators in the United States. And that is just something that has been fought for and continues to be fought for for that representation because that is a way for education to be more, much more meaningful than it might otherwise be. Right here in California, there's a huge fight right now about making ethnic studies a requirement and mm. how studies have shown that having students, particularly students of color, go through ethnic studies programs in high school or college can be really beneficial to them and help to activate them as much more active members of their communities. And mm. yeah, I think that that's a, such an important point and definitely see parallels with that with Katara. Yeah, for sure. Well, and to even if you have access to education, like the quality of education may be vastly different because of the school districts and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And like even among the Northern Water Tribe and the Southern Water Tribe, like their resources are are so vastly different. Absolutely. So what about you, though? What did you bring for your plop? Yeah, I as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, I decided not to go for one specific kind of plot point in an episode or two, but really to kind of look at education as a whole throughout Avatar The Last Airbender, because 
I think that the way that we see it is in a way where in each society that we see it, education is used as an inherently conservative uh, structure where it is there to maintain certain elements of power and hierarchy and conservative values and that we don't really see it as an activating tool the way that I think education should be. We saw with our quote how the Fire Nation schools are all very restrictive, not about having your own personal or creative expression. And in the history that's shown, not only is it completely incorrect, but it actually doesn't even start until the rise of Sozin. History before the current administration is completely censored and, and non-existent in that education, really kind of reifying these ideas of maintaining the power structure as it is and, and not even having the possibility of understanding other forms of power within their society. Mm-hmm. In the Water Tribe, obviously, in the Northern Water Tribe, we see, as you mentioned, how Paku maintains this gendered hierarchy, this gendered imbalance through the teaching there. And in the Earth Nation, Bossingse University is entirely censored regarding the Hundred Years' War, <laughs> where yeah. they go in, they talk to a student and ask him about the war, and Judy is like, don't say anything, and the student gets, you know, frightened off. There's and no so, war in Bossing Say. Yeah, there is no war in Bossing Say, which is just, I think, uh, also really emblematic of how hierarchies can utilize education systems to maintain themselves. And the United how... States is the best country in the world. Exactly, and 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 how that that type of discussion as factual is just <laughs> inaccurate. Right? Uh, yeah. And serves propagandic for- forces. And I think that that is something that is uh, really, really striking. And then I-, I also was thinking even further that in all of these societies, we also see this huge focus on bending as an important element of education and educating the next generation. That makes sense in regards to the way they, they live their lives, but it also, I think, highlights in some ways the focus on violence and that violent in the fire nation is certainly oppressive imperialistic but even in the earth kingdom and the water tribe where it's more defensive it's still kind of maintaining a much more uh kind of violent focus on bending and and as much as i despise the idea of of it being gendered and only women can be healers i love i at least love the idea that healing itself is something that can be taught in the northern water tribe as Mm. a a useful means for bending but even there it is seen as less important or has a lower status than the the martial form of bending Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and then in the air nomads i think it's it's less violent right Um, absolutely and it seems like there's a lot of philosophy and culture that is taught through that. Yeah, and, and we see so much less of that that we don't see as much of that kind of certainly the problematic formal structures that we see in these other groups. Mm-hmm. But when you go into Legend of Korra, for sure, we see how sometimes the focus on the cultural lessons of the air nomads is ultimately difficult for students who didn't come up in that culture. And it also brings up that you were talking about how bending has a significant role to play in education. What about the education of people who aren't benders? Is education kind of centered around, obviously we we study history, so (laughs) this is where my mind is going. (laughs) 
but is it centered around only the benders and are non-benders represented in the curriculum as well? Yeah, yeah, really, really good points. So yeah, I just, I think that that Avatar in, in its just amazing world building that we've talked about quite a bit, we see how it also maintains really interesting and sharp critiques of how education can often be used as a tool by hierarchical oppressive states. Yeah, definitely. That's how states get nationalism, patriotism, all of that indoctrinated into their people. (laughs) It's their education, right? Yay. (laughs) My favorite use for education. (laughs) Well, why don't we go on to our compelling questions? So one of the things I love about good education and emphasis on good is that it can really change people's perspectives and like break Mm. people out from more narrow ways of thinking about something or engaging with the world and you know can really allow people to think new thoughts to form new neural pathways to have perspectives that they never would have had without education kind of opening and broadening and so my question is where do you see learning changing characters perspectives or like pushing the boundaries into something completely new that that hmm. wouldn't have been thought before in an avatar. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer, I think, or one of the obvious answers would be how Sokka learns from Suki and the Kyoshi warriors mm. and how he comes in with very misogynistic views and arrogance about his knowledge and expertise in fighting and they're able to show him his expertise is not all that matters and that his gendered view of the world is obviously incorrect as well mm-hmm. yeah another one actually that just that was kind of coming to mind as you're t- talking about this though was how tenzin had to learn to accept that Janora was better with the spirits than he is yeah he he was more rigid in his thinking right and that doesn't lend itself well to the spirit world Exactly. And and his idea of hierarchy and of belief that going down the path that was laid before him of studying and working hard and becoming a master was the only path to success in that way, where she found her own path that was much more kind of natural and much less formulaic, but ultimately more successful. Well, yeah, wasn't it? It's like, oh, we have to go to this place and this is the method of how to contact the spirits. Mm. And she was like, oh, this little thing just came to me, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. And she just was open to that. Absolutely. Yeah, something I was thinking about was even the avatar themselves. They're learning mm. from multiple types of bending. And I think it, that that teaches them to be so much more well-rounded. And I was kind of like thinking about how it's almost like interdisciplinary education in a way and i i remember reading something about interdisciplinary studies saying something like that it was learning across boundaries and i just i really like that idea like learning in a way that dissolves boundaries and i think that that's very much what the avatar is about and that's part of how they keep the peace is by going and studying with other people learning about their way of life and their way of bending and their the philosophies that are 
are behind those things. Hmm. And I think Iroh also kind of showed that, right? Because he learned yeah. from other types of bending. He was in avatars, so he couldn't actually practice them. But, you know, since as as you were talking about earlier, like the bending has cultural elements intertwined with it. And so I think that did make him much more open-minded and compassionate towards people and ideas and also let him create a non-violent solution to lightning bending that he never mm. would have been able to do without learning something from water bending. Yeah, that's so true. And Iroh is just such a great teacher as well. That actually reminds me also, I, I recently saw someone, I think on Reddit posted this about the final fight between Zuko and Azula and how you could maybe say that Zuko took that lesson and that he uses some aspect of all four types of bending in that fight where he uses the water bending to redirect the lightning. Mm -hmm. He uses air bending by constantly trying to avoid attacks rather than necessarily just fighting himself and kind of pushing mm. forward with his fire. And that he stands his ground against Azula in a way that's really powerful, like earth bending. Mm. Which I thought was, oh, was really, cool. really cool. I like that. Yeah. And, and I think that's really cool too to think about that as his boss battle, his fight kind of mirroring Aang's journey of both of them kind of gathering this type of multicultural, multi-bending form way of, of dealing with their, their antagonists, which I just, I love. Mm, yeah, I like that. Now yeah. I want to just like go back and watch it. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, now, now that Avatar is back on Netflix, Reddit has just been blowing up with people <laughs> kind of posting memes and, and their favorite episodes and things like that. And it definitely makes me want to go back and, and do another watch through. I know, right? I mean, generally, <laughs> yes, but then also, like, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking about, as I was talking a little bit before about, like, intersectionality, I think Toph is definitely an example of that, too, hmm. where she, as a differently able girl, her parents were way overprotective of her because they didn't, you know, want to let her learn earthbending because they thought that she wasn't either capable of it or they thought it was too dangerous, right? Mm. But it was actually because she was blind and had a different perspective that she was able to create different types of earthbending entirely. Yeah. And not only did she create metal bending like a boss, but... <laughs> She also created the method of sensing where people and things are, you know, through the earth, which mm. allowed Aang to defeat the Fire Lord. Oh, yeah, I loved that we get to see him use that in that final moment that's like so important and so powerful. The only reason he knew how to do that was because she figured this out because she had a different perspective and was able to, yeah, push things beyond the boundary that other people had had set before yeah yeah that's so true and you know i think even like cora changes a lot through yeah. learning airbending specifically because like she's so brash and headstrong at the beginning and she was like struggling so much with airbending but i think as she learns it and practices meditation other elements of airbending like her character does shift to interact with the world in like a little bit more gentle and thoughtful way right but why don't we move on to your question for me sure yeah i wanted to know 
what your thoughts are in, in all these things that we're talking about in regards to education and learning and having access to information as being impacted by and impacting relations of power and culture and all these other types of things, what your thoughts are on Wan Shi Tong's decision to restrict access to all the knowledge in the library because he believes it will only be used for violence and war. Hmm. I mean, my automatic response is, no, don't restrict access to knowledge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being the, the half Ravenclaw that I am. <laughs> but, you know, I can also in some ways understand the idea because the spirit has been around for who knows how long. And they keep seeing people be violent and that not stop. And every new way that people learn to do things, they also learn new ways to harm each other. Mm. And people from the fire nature will go into that library and use that the knowledge that they gain there to yeah, commit genocide. And like if Aang hadn't survived there would be no airbenders left in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I can understand the idea of humans are not trustworthy and they do not need this information to live, but if they have this information, whole people groups might be gone. Mm. So I can understand it, but still... <laughs> The Ravenclaw wins out. It's like, don't restrict access. There should be no restricted section. I mean, actually, maybe of some of those books. <laughs> maybe only certain. No, they can't let only certain people. But obviously, Voldemort should not be allowed in the restricted section. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's, it's hard, right? And it's complicated. And with knowledge, people can do really, really terrible things. But I mean, I think... Probably people would figure out how to do terrible things without the knowledge. Mm. But I'm half Japanese and two atomic bombs were dropped on some of my ancestors, you know, and it's just terrible things can happen with yeah. with knowledge when it's in the hands of people who, yeah, care about power and don't care about human lives, especially mm -hmm. human lives who are not white. And so... Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for what is right. But since that spirit was kind of like the guard or the facilitator of that library, like, I don't know, maybe they can do what they want with it. I, I don't know. It, I think the, the library only exists because that spirit was there. Yeah, I think I, I read like on the wiki that Wan Shi Tong was actually the first person to bring knowledge from the spirit world into the human world of writing and and other types of, of knowledge um hmm. so at least in in the mythology of the, of the show yeah obviously he's he's done quite a bit of of sharing of that information and and compiling that information himself but i'm right there with you it's so it's such a complicated perspective and while he's obviously antagonistic to the gang I also can understand why he might be. If he is the person who brought this kind of knowledge to humanity and humanity in many ways chose to use it in the ways that were violent and at times genocidal. And and I think that you're right on in, in seeing the, the, the analogy to nuclear power and nuclear weapons as a great example of that. 
to this day, we still have enough nuclear weapons to wipe out the entirety of the world in seconds. And that's yeah. not great. I don't like that. That's It's not my favorite thing in the world, no. No, certainly not. I mean, and and you could see, like, if Wang Shichong did bring that, just a lot of knowledge and stuff to begin with, like, you could see that they would feel a sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so they could feel that it's my responsibility to take this away so that people cannot access it either. Yeah, absolutely. So... Moral of the story, I... don't be a really powerful spirit that has to make these decisions. <laughs> yeah, because we can't, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a part of me who, who is also like, just let everyone have all the information, and that way that equalizes it. But that is obviously extremely idealistic and naive, because <laughs> hi- hierarchies will continue to exist even if information is, is democratized, as we see with the internet and other types of... of inequalities in information and education so yeah it's 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 complicated <laughs> yep that's a true statement <laughs> well, well what's your missed opportunity so my missed opportunity is that we get to see a little bit more of the formal education system in the fire nation when english mm-hmm. is school there but i am wondering what it was like for other kids it was compulsory in the fire nation mm-hmm. they're walking around and ang was seen by a guard and he was like why aren't you in school you know whereas it doesn't seem like that's true of anywhere else in the avatar world and so yeah i'm just kind of wondering about that and like did the fire nation kind of start bringing compulsory education like i don't i don't know the air nomads it did seem like you were in school but mm-hmm. yeah, I just would have loved to see a little bit more of that. Also really would have loved to see Fire Nation colonies and compulsory school because mm. we get to see incorrect supposed facts being taught that the Fire Nation defeated the air nomad army in blank year. And that's that's what Aang has a problem with. He's like, um, <laughs> the air nomads army? did not have an army. So. So that's incorrect. So I would have just loved to see like an imperial indoctrination and like mm. the curriculum that would be devised for the colonies specifically. Yeah, I just, I wish we got a little bit more there because Team Avatar, they're kids and mm-hmm. they're missing some vital years of education as they're running around. And I haven't read all the comics uh, i've only read a little bit of the first couple but they don't seem to be in school then either <laughs> so yeah yeah and and i think that that's a really really interesting point because we we see them as knowledgeable in many basic things certainly where they can read and write Sokka knows enough about certain aspects of engineering to help out with some of his plans and to help. I know. I don't know where he learned that in the snow. Yeah. And and maybe, I mean, I can understand how to build a home, how to build a boat would be really necessary for them. This is how we can make this work with flying air balloon. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, there's also that. So, so I think there's some really interesting elements there and questions that I'd love to be at answered where did Sokka have some kind of homeschooling education where he got some of these information or uh is it just 
yeah, a missed opportunity where the, this, this the show kind of overlooked this element of it. Or somehow Team Avatar is just comprised of the geniuses. <laughs> just happened to get those kids. Yeah, and and I think that there is an element where for certain, all the, the members of Team Avatar are exceptional. At the same time, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they all, except for Toph, who, you know, I, I don't think they have Braille in this world, so she doesn't ever read. And, and it seems like that this society has not supported people who are differently able to also have a kind of robust education. And again, maybe they haven't let that kind of education happen to most people. So it's very, very interesting questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess timeline-wise, it's kind of like Industrial Revolution-ish time, right? And that was yeah, it's very not a time when kids had to go to school. Totally. Yeah. And, and that actually kind of leads me to my missed opportunity. I think that post-Avatar and that, that jump between Avatar and Korra is this kind of movement from a pre-modern to a modern society, where we see that with some of the inventions they have. they got radio, movers, cars, things like that, um, where things have industrialized to the point where hopefully education would exist more. And we don't really see much of that either. We see, obviously, the fruits of greater knowledge and use of technologies, but we don't see kind of the process through which that, that occurs because we're dealing in particular with even older characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also... For me, as as not only a, his, a historian and an educator, but someone who just, you know, wants to have all these questions answered, it also makes me want to know how those ideas of history change after Ozai Falls. What is the view of history in particular post-Ozai of people find, trying to find their cultures and their histories in ways that have been institutionally silenced? Um, and that can be within the Fire Nation and within other areas as well. And I think that even if without having to engage with what those histories are, I think it would have been a really interesting discussion to, for example, have an element in an episode where someone talks about their histories and how those histories have kind of been sidelined and unprioritized in favor of things like engineering and technology and and progress and modernity and how that has in our society historically silenced those who are seen to represent not modernity and and so i just think that would be really interesting type of parallel that maybe we could could have been explored if uh if maybe they put an episode or a character into Korra with that but yeah, yeah that, that's just something that again as as a historian is something that's kind of on my mind and I would love to have seen represented in this this great show oh totally yeah I I really would love that post-colonial history post-colonial yeah. narratives education all of that yeah would have been fascinating and a post-colonial historiography about pre-colonial times and, and and how that is then discussed and seen and I mean I guess Kyoshi is kind of one of the few Kyoshi Islands one of the few areas that we really see this kind of long-standing tradition dating back to before the Hundred Years War. Well and I think another part too which is just something that I did not like that they did with Legend of Korra was the breaking of Korra from the past avatars especially mm. when you're thinking about the air nomads who do not exist anymore. Like now they're rebuilding them, but they were wiped out. That avatar connection was the only thing that could bring more context to their history, culture, practices, everything. Because yeah, there's some things that you could get from 
the temples, there's some things that you could get from Aang, but Aang was only at one of the temples and he wasn't at a temple where any girls were, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think there's so much that was lost and we don't see, I mean, maybe Aang did go and like commune with all of the best avatars and, you know, write a bunch of stuff down. He seemed like he was a bit busy, but (laughs) that would be great. And that should definitely have been a priority. Yeah, I mean, it's in some ways it is. It's like the destruction of a library or a repository of artifacts, and it's so so sad and, and yeah, yeah, awful. So conclusion: don't destroy the libraries. <laughs> no, do not destroy the libraries. <laughs> Definitely not that. Please, no. Well, why don't we go into just our, our our takeaways? What what are you thinking after this robust conversation? I guess it would be yeah. Education and learning is very complicated because there's so many factors that go into it from Mm. things that have to do with social justice, but also to things that are tied to culture. Yeah, education has a lot of power to do a lot of good, but can also do a lot of bad. And so, yeah, I think my conclusion is that even though education isn't one of the main issues that's overtly talked about, in the series, they bring out some of the complexities and some of the layers. You just have to look for it a little more, but but some of that is there, which is great. That's so funny because I, I, I'm actually thinking the opposite after this conversation. Really? Well, I'll agree that formal education and institutional education is not really delved into in these shows. I would say that in in Avatar in particular, the idea of learning is so central to the shows and particular learning from others and those Mm -hmm. that you're not a part of. I think that the fact that the three seasons are all centered around Aang finding a master of one of these other cultures and mastering an element is kind of key part of that. And I love that the narrative is about how... Aang is learning about the world through learning about how to bend and learning about how to bend through learning about the world. And and I think that his education, even though it's not formalized in the way that Harry, it is in Harry Potter, for example, his education is still really central to the story. And then so is Zuko's coming from such a different experience. And and That's okay. It seems like Aang got a better education than Harry did anyway. <laughs> in many ways, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Paku was the worst teacher he had, so... <laughs> <laughs> and he never tried to murder him, as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that, that now I'm seeing learning and that that type of goal as being so crucial to the narrative in a way that I, I don't think I did at the beginning of this conversation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But conclusion, they're good shows. I like them. <laughs> That's always our conclusion <laughs> for our Avatar episodes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, what will we be discussing next time? So we are going to be going back to Star Wars and continuing our usual five property rotation. And this coming week, we are going to be looking at the theme of ability. Cool. Ability in Star Wars. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest, or you can go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. 
can also join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lines to get all sorts of access to extra content and other special rewards for our patrons, and that's for as little as $1 a month. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.